0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety. Today, I want to focus on different attachment styles. I'm in my trauma series, and attachment styles is really important to know just because it plays such a big role in our emotional well-being, in our relationships, our overall development, and definitely is important when we're talking about trauma understanding and effectively working with kiddos attachment styles can really affect their sense of security, their resilience, their ability to form healthy connections with other people. And so each Different style is important to know because it presents with unique characteristics and with unique behaviors that really reflect the kiddos, you know, ability to regulate their emotion, their trust in other people, their perception of different relationships that they have. So knowing that is really important to make sure we are providing them the best support and strategies that they need based on their own unique needs and challenges. Um, in case you don't know, attachment styles, it really stems from that attachment theory developed by John Bowlby. Um, he suggested that our early experiences with our caregivers and parents, they shape our attachment patterns. And so that influences how we establish and maintain relationships throughout our whole life, really, right? And so those attachments are important for brain development early on. And really, really, affect every area of our functioning. So we're going to dig into this, right, and dig into how we work with kiddos depending on their different attachment styles. This is really a sort of nuanced approach that acknowledges the unique needs and challenges of each style. Uh, And I'll get into other things later on next time, but I really want to focus on these today. I'm going to say, no matter what their attachment style is, we want to make sure we're building those secure attachments, building and maintaining secure attachments. And so we need to make sure kiddos are receiving consistent, responsive care, uh, consi- consistent routines, consistent emotional support. We're always fostering trust and empathy within a very positive, nurturing interaction, right? That's going to be really important and we're creating a very safe and predictable environment, that's so crucial to help kids feel that they are secured and valued. Okay. Um, And then of course, I mean, that's true for everybody, but then understanding kiddos attachment style, if we have older teens and adults, I would teach them, I would talk to them about different attachment styles and how some of their early caregiving experiences can really influence what their current orientation is towards the world. And so by increasing their awareness and our awareness, if we're working, with them, you know they can really start to develop agency in how they perceive and construct their reality and and the relationships that they have. So there's four different types of attachments. I mentioned the first last week when I'm talking about secure attachments, that's our goal. That's what we want all kids. We want them to all be securely attached. And this is really where kids have a really deep emotional bond, a, a sense of security with somebody. It's usually the primary caregiver, but it can be with anybody. We know that these kiddos are securely attached when they show trust in a relationship, when there's an emotional openness, when they can go and seek comfort from their caregivers. Now, if they're securely attached, you know, they're securely bonded within that relationship, that's healing in and of itself. They generally have a positive view of themselves and of others. Okay, Um, and we know that secure attachment, it plays a vital role in buffering any negative effects of trauma that they might have experienced and really fosters their resilience. These kiddos are are less likely in the first place to experience a traumatic response if there is any distressing events in their life. And if they do have a traumatic response, they're more likely to recover from that traumatic experience and they're more likely to demonstrate greater resilience in the face of any adversity that life throws their way versus kids who are not securely attached. All this to say, though, they can still benefit from support, right? We might not be focusing on the relationships as much in building them because they are already securely attached. We, so this is, you know, maintaining those relationships, um, but they can still benefit in working through any trauma that they've experienced. So again, we are ensuring a really strong relationship. That's still very important, but now we can actually start focusing on skill building, right? Like exploring their emotions, processing traumatic events, fostering those emotion regulation skills. And so we want to get kids to that place where they're securely attached so that they can start working on those other skills. They can't work on those skills if they don't have that strong attachment in the first place. So the relationship is way more of a focus when we're looking at the other attachment styles. So, because the secure attachment lays the foundation for healthy social emotional development, self regulation, the ability to form future secure relationships, you know, in their whole life, that's where we're going. So in all the work we're doing, we're working on developing that secure attachment because without that relationship, the other work and skill building is impossible. We're not going to see the same sort of gain. So that's where we want to go. That secure attachment bond really provides kiddos a a safe haven. That's that secure base from which they're going to be curious, right? And and curiosity, remember that state that helps us overcome anxiety and big emotions. When we're curious, kiddos can explore their world. They can regulate their emotions easier, right? And seek comfort and support and all of those things. So all the work we need to do is really to make sure we're getting those kiddos to that place where they're securely attached before we work on other things. Now, when they're not securely attached, we might have one of the other attachment styles. So one of them is insecure avoidant attachment. And so we often see these kiddos if they've experienced a lot of neglect or emotional unavailability from their caregivers. And so for these kiddos, they might develop a sort of defensive strategy to protect themselves from any potential rejection right? And so they're often suppressing their emotional needs. They're becoming emotionally distant. They really struggle with intimacy and trust in their relationships. And so if we have a kiddo with an avoidant attachment style, they, they struggle with that trust and intimacy, and they often downplay the any the, the impact any trauma might've had in their life because they want to avoid any vulnerability. So Building that trust and safety is so critical when we're addressing their fears of intimacy. So, it's essential for sure. We got to respect their need for personal space, but we're also gently encouraging um, that emotional expression, that connection with other people. We're providing a supportive and accepting environment. We're really validating their emotions. And we're gradually building that trust to help kiddos with this avoidant attachment develop more secure relationships. If they're older, we can absolutely address their inclination towards independence and self reliance. Again, we're Validating their need for autonomy, but we're also helping them recognize the importance of interdependence. They don't have to do everything on their own. So we're supporting them in developing healthier boundaries and expressing their needs for connection. And once we have stronger relationships, then we can start involving gradual exposure to emotions, right? Because they're trying to avoid that vulnerability. That exposure and stretching out of their comfort zone is still really important. Um, And then we can start exploring the impact trauma has had in their life, really being able to tap into that. These kiddos often struggle with developing, you know, healthy coping mechanisms to manage the distress that they're experiencing because they're avoiding all of their emotional connection, right? And they're avoiding any sort of support. So we can work towards building effective coping skills. And again, it first starts with that secure and supportive environment. It's very non-judgmental in that space where kids can feel accepted and valued. We're really focusing on open communication, that active listening is so critical to build trust and emotional connection and again we're we're ensuring that they've got that consistent reliable support so that they're you know feeling secure in times of distress. And we also want to teach kiddos that all all emotions. It doesn't matter what emotion comes up, they're valid and they're normal, including any, you know, quote unquote, negative ones. And we're going to validate their feelings by acknowledging and empathizing with their experiences, right? And then we're going to help move towards labeling and expressing their emotions, developing that emotional awareness and that regulation. That's really important. And we have to make sure we're, we're moving towards that gradual exposure to distress and big feelings. We're always offering support, always offering our confidence that they can do it, you know, especially during that exposure time so that they can learn, hey, I can handle it. I can manage these distressing situations. I can manage being vulnerable. All of those things are so helpful, and again, proactively teaching relaxation tex- techniques. I always do a lot of dropping into the body, getting them aware of their body. Even things like progressive muscle relaxation. You could do guided imer- imagery, but I find if they're just so disconnected, I'm, I'm always coming back to the body to be, you know, to be quite honest. Um, but I, I never expect them to use those strategies in the face of distress without all of the other work, right? So if we're going to be doing any relaxation or mindfulness or all of those kinds of things, they can help lower kiddos overall allows arousal levels early on. So we want to work on those proactively and then have lots of practice so that maybe they will become part of their coping toolbox when they are starting to feel distressed. But awareness is always first anyways. Um, Encouraging positive self-talk, that's always important so they can start to coach themselves, especially when they start to become distressed as well. And of course, you know, all the adults are going to be modeling healthy coping strategies all the time as well, sharing our own experiences, of managing distress and reaching out for support and highlighting some of the strategies that we find helpful, not that we're trying to tell them what to do, but being able to model, okay, I'm aware, I see what's going on, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, We also want to encourage as many healthy relationships with as many people. It could be adults. It could be friends. It doesn't even matter. We want to build as many as possible. So part of that work is going to be facilitating lots of opportunities for these kiddos to establish These different relationships. So, we're encouraging activities, we're promoting teamwork, we're promoting cooperation um, and emotional connection. Those are best. Okay. Now, for our kiddos who've experienced inconsistent caregiving, which can be both, um, you know, not getting the nurturing. Uh, caregiving that they need, or it could be neglectful behaviors as well. These kiddos might develop what's called an insecure ambivalent attachment. Okay. So they might exhibit hyper vigilance in their relationships. They're just experienced this intense sort of emotional response to any of their triggers. And we often see really clingy dependent behaviors. They're overly anxious. They're preoccupied with seeking attention and reassurance, right? They're just so scared of being rejected. And there's this inability to self-soothe. And so the fear of rejection and, and abandonment is so strong right? So they're seeking that out, but they're not really finding any comfort or security in their relationships at all. And so we get caught in that loop of attention seeking and reassurance seeking because they're never actually feeling secured. So these ambivalently attached kiddos, they often struggle with trust and fear of abandonment. And so they often experience a lot of anxiety and insecurity in any relationships that they have. Consistent care, again, predictable routines, again, clear boundaries that can all help provide a sense of safety and stability, which is important here. We're encouraging, again, that emotional validation where we're teaching them coping skills. We're promoting a very secure base. To support these kiddos in developing secure and trusting relationships. Um, grounding exercises can be helpful. Boundary setting strategies are helpful for these, these kiddos with the grounding exercises. Again, I'm, I'm using them proactively to help them learn how to keep that prefrontal cortex online more and more. So dropping into the body, noticing what's going on for them, or again, progressive relaxation, that's fine. Or they could be doing things like engaging in their senses, noticing and just, describing the things that they see and hear and touch and smell and taste, all of those kinds of things. So these exercises can really help them connect in the moment with their immediate environment. And that helps just create that sense of safety and grounding. And by the way, actually one thing that really helps promote a sense of safety is listening to birds. There's actually research supporting this because when we can hear birds, there's no predators around it's safe. And so we just have this, you know, it's embedded in our brain. So it just helps calm our nervous system. I thought I'd throw that out there, but again, all of these mindfulness things, relaxation, grounding techniques, they're done proactively. It's not the work. It's just part of the work. Now, I talked about establishing boundaries. And so when it comes to that, we're helping kiddos develop assertiveness. So they're practicing really clear communication and being able to express their needs and whatever those boundaries are. And so maybe it's role-playing scenarios where they can practice saying no and setting boundaries in a respectful manner. Kids first, though, they need to know what their personal boundaries even are, right? So what are their preferences and what are their limits? And so working through that is going to be important. We've got to help them articulate what's acceptable and unacceptable to them in different situations, whether it's with friends or family, immediate family, extended family, you know, wh- wh- whomever. With with their teachers. So they need to become aware of what those things are. And then we want them to practice that self-advocacy. So they're expressing their feelings and their opinions and their needs in different settings with different people. And so we're going to validate their efforts and reinforce that importance of self-advocacy. Now, these kiddos too, they also need to develop healthy coping mechanisms. So similar to what I just talked about already, that emotional validation and empathy is really important. We're providing those nurturing and accepting environments, right? So kids need to feel comfortable expressing their emotions without any judgment or criticism. So we're still acknowledging and validating their emotions. We're letting them know that their feelings are normal and understandable. We're helping them understand that their emotions really matter and they really deserve attention right? Even if we don't think it's a big deal, but it is for them, we are validating all of that. And we're continuing to practice our active listening. We're giving our full attention. We're reflecting their emotions back to them. We're offering empathetic responses. All of those things are so important to help them feel understood and supported. Emotion regulation is still very important with these kiddos where they're learning to recognize and label their emotions. Having a visual is really helpful. I talk about it all the time. Having an emotion wheel or emoji cards or something like that is is helpful. Coping cards can be useful for these kiddos too, where they have healthy coping strategies listed on the cards. And so then they can refer to that whenever they're feeling overwhelmed or distressed, ideally before they get to that point of distress. And again, we need to ensure that they've got lots of opportunities to practice using these in challenging situations. So once they've had practicing in, you know, practice sessions, now we're going to just expand that to real situations. For some kiddos, journaling can be really helpful, but that's a way for them to be able to express their emotions and all of their thoughts in a really safe and private space. And so sometimes that's kind of a precursor. If kids are able and wanting to write, of course. So we're encouraging them to reflect on their experiences, to identify their triggers, to explore any strategies for managing different emotions. So all of that can be really helpful. Now, I don't often specifically target cognitive restructuring because I find that that usually just comes out of the work that I do anyways, especially when I get into exposure kinds of things. But some people do like to help kiddos challenge their negative thoughts um, and encouraging positive self-talk, right? That is is helpful for boosting their problem-solving skills and, you know, just being able to self coach. So we can help kiddos, you know, teach them to um, break down problems into smaller manageable steps and brainstorm, okay, how am I going to work through this problem? Now with these kiddos, the focus is really important um, to highlight their strengths and their abilities, right? We're highlighting their achievements, we're we're, um, highlighting their qualitative qualitative, positive qualities to foster a sense of self-worth and resilience. So helping them set realistic goals can be helpful. We're celebrating their achievements along the way. That's really helpful to just boost their self-esteem and it reinforces their belief in their ability to manage challenges. And of course, supporting them to build lots of positive relationships with trusted adults and peers, again, is really important and making sure that those people can provide support. They can serve as healthy role models in coping. If they're old enough, we can look at the origins of their mistrust and work towards developing sort of healthier expectations and communication patterns. Again, validating their emotions while also guiding them to consider different alternative perspectives is very helpful. And in all the work that we do, there's the relationship component, of course, right? Them working through things with us in that supportive relationship is critical. And we we can start to help them shift some of their perspectives. And again, we're providing this consistent support and a safe space where they can learn to depend on others—that's our work. And you're hearing me say it over and over and over again. We're creating that so that they can get over that feeling of vulnerability. And I can't be vulnerable. Um, I just want to say that the strategies to develop healthy coping mechanisms for these ambivalent attachment kiddos—they um, do share many similarities with the strategies for the avoidant attachment style. So I've kind of just covered both of them. So both of these attachment styles involve challenges in managing their distress. However, I just want to quickly say there are some differences in the focus and emphasis of the strategies to address their specific needs. So on the one hand, with our ambivalently attached kiddos, the focus is really on that security and trust. Okay, because they have a heightened need for reassurance. They have that fear of rejection and abandonment. So they're constantly making sure, are we still okay? Are we still okay? Are we still okay? Do you still love me? Do you still love me? But they're never getting that comfort. So we're really placing an emphasis on building that sense of security and trust in relationships. Okay? And so we do that with our consistent routines, our clear expectations, our reassurance of availability and support. All of those things are important. Now, many of those kiddos really struggle with that self esteem that I talked about, that lack of confidence in their own abilities, another reason why they're very clingy and dependent and, and, and seeking that reassurance. So, if we're focusing on fostering a sense of autonomy, right? That's important. And we're really encouraging that development of independent sort of problem-solving skills. Now, ambivalent attachment often stems from that fear of rejection and abandonment. So, all of our strategies are often involving helping kids understand that rejection and or uh, disapproval it doesn't define their self worth. Because reality is, we're we're not always going to be accepted. There are going to be times of rejection. Ideally, not in our secured relationships. But we're not always going to get the job. We're not always going to. Uh, Be chosen for something, right? So it doesn't define their self-worth. And so teaching them healthy ways to cope with the fear of rejection, such as practicing assertiveness and effective communication is really important. Now, emotion regulation is important for both as well, but the boundary setting is really important for ambivalence. Uh, kiddos, okay, because that's going to help promote some of their emotion regulation and self-advocacy. And then working with the mixed emotions, right? That's really important because these kiddos often experience conflicting emotions like love and anger towards the important people in their life. And so we want to help them explore and understand these mixed emotions and helping them express their feelings in helpful ways. Um, And that's going to help facilitate opportunities for emotional processing and resolution. Okay. Mm-hmm. The focus, on the other hand, for our avoidantly attached kids is on creating a safe and non-threatening environment where they feel secure to explore themselves and to express themselves without any fear of judgment or rejection, for sure. But this is important because they've got that heightened fear of intimacy and closeness, right? And so it's about getting close in the first place. And so here for them, exposure is really important, exposure to positive, nurturing experiences of emotional connection is really important for them so that they can learn to develop those deep emotional connections. And that can be done through different activities. It could be um, activities that promote trust building, you know, cooperation games, uh, shared interests, collaborative sort of projects. These kiddos have to experience that consistent nurturing and, and responsive caregiving. So lots of reliability and predictability and emotional availability in all of our interactions with them is so important. Now, these kiddos have really learned to suppress their emotions. That's a way to protect themselves, right? And so that's why creating opportunities for them to express their emotions in a very safe and supportive manner is so important for them. These kiddos often exhibit a strong desire as well for independence and self-reliance. I can do it all. I don't need anybody, right? That's that avoidance piece. So fostering that sense of autonomy is still important, and we're encouraging the child's independence, but within appropriate boundaries. That can be helpful in looking at the importance of interdependence as well. The underlying principles of creating a safe and supportive environment, um, fostering emotion regulation, promoting resilience apply to both our avoidant and our ambivalent kiddos, right? It's just the specific challenges and needs really require a, a tailored approach, tailored strategies That address their unique attachment dynamics and their emotional experiences. And every child is different anyways, but those are just some ideas of, of how we can focus on different things. Now, finally, that brings me to the disorganized attachment. This arises when we've got a caregiver who is inconsistent, or maybe they engage in frightening behaviors. These kiddos They often exhibit a lot of confusion in their relationships. They might have contradictory behaviors. So maybe on the one hand, they're seeking the closeness, but they're also displaying avoidance and fear. And we can see a lot of inconsistencies in their behavior. Like I said, confusion in relationships and a lot of fear-based responses. So they often struggle again with emotion regulation. All of these kiddos do, they have trouble forming those stable relationships. These kiddos often dissociate way more and usually have... Of um greater risk for developing other mental health concerns as they get older. So kiddos with disorganized attachment, they're they're likely to have experienced pretty significant trauma, right? Or really inconsistent caregiving. And they really struggle with a lot of that unresolved trauma. So, so this is way more significant. I shouldn't say way more, but, but it's usually we're looking at the significant amount of trauma. So all of our focus is really on creating a secure base with, with that stability and consistent support, that sensitivity, the understanding and the patients, but for them, they really need to process any of that underlying unresolved trauma, because that's contributing to the d- disorganized attachment style. And so this is where really, I mean, for all of them, it's helpful to have a prof- professional, but if you've got a disorganized attached kiddo, a trained trauma-informed professional who does things like EMDR. If you don't know, it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or any somatic approaches like somatic experiencing within a very secure and structured environment is essential for a lot of these kiddos just to support that healing journey so that they can start to learn and regulate and cope with all of their big emotions. So something to think about. Uh, When we're working with our older teens and adults, it can be really helpful to explore the role of preconditioned expectations in their perceptions of their relationships and of the world. Um, These are really based on their experiences, their beliefs societal influences that have shaped their thoughts and emotions and behaviors and even their interactions with other people and so that influences their overall well-being and you know it can affect their personal growth so they need to explore and challenge these preconditioned expectations to foster their resilience and flexibility and a sense of self-awareness and we can help do that you know Lots of different ways we can encourage critical thinking and mindfulness can be really helpful. Exposure, exposing them to lots of different experiences and cultures and people, Um, perspectives. We really want to broaden their worldview. And of course, we got to encourage them to step out of their comfort zone and really try new things, things that they've probably dismissed due to some of these preconditioned expectations. And so this process really allows them to challenge their assumptions, to discover, who knows, hidden strengths and talents they didn't even know about and develop a broader perspective of their abilities that I can handle this. So this is all this to say, this is a very broad overview and every single kiddo and individual, I mean, it's applicable to adults too. Everyone is so different and everyone needs... Varying forms of support during moments of distress when they're feeling those big emotions and overwhelm. And all of this takes a lot of time and practice. So we got to practice our patience and our consistency and our support, especially with kiddos who might have big behaviors, right? We need to make sure that we're able to create that stability for them so that they can develop the strategies to manage their distress and and, and to build their resilience, right? So we always want to show that, that understanding and that empathy. We're tailoring everything that we need to do to the kiddos needs in this time but also considering their developmental level too that's important um, I'm always collaborating with kiddos and especially if there's been traumas collaborating with kiddos and their families of course, about their specific needs and preferences, even about, you know, things that I could be doing that are triggering, like a smile, for example, could be triggering. So we want to make sure we're creating a really safe space within our relationship. And so that's why that collaboration is so important, right? So getting them, they they need to be able to talk about what helps them during challenging times, and what's not helpful, right? Do they need space for self-soothing, or do they meet, need immediate comfort and validation? So, just some things to think about. Um, I always do recommend too, you know, if you're a caregiver, or um, you know, if you're consulting with a mental health professional who's specializing in childhood trauma, that's probably a good idea. If you are a helper a professional. That's fantastic. Um, but for parents, it's probably good to reach out just to get some guidance, you know, and have some expertise in supporting how, um, supporting you in how you can best support your kiddos' emotional growth and well being. So, whew, it's been a lot. I'm going to leave it there for today. Next week, I will go into a few more strategies. Um, actually, one more thing I, I do want to say is when we're working with kiddos' attachment styles, whether you're a caregiver, parent, teacher, mental health professional, when we're working with kiddos' attachment styles, it can be really emotionally demanding. So it's really important for us if we're doing this work again, it doesn't matter if we're a professional or a caregiver that we're prioritizing our own self-care and we are getting the support that we need because we have to take care of our own emotional well being to ensure that we can provide kiddos with the necessary support and nurturing and um, secure attachments that, that they need really effectively. So I'll leave it there. Thank you for joining me today. Um, help those kiddos be bold and courageous. And just remember if you're a mental health professional or educator, I do have individual and group consultation opportunities. So I'm happy to chat about, you know, how to support a kiddo who has big emotions. I do of course have my courses, my anxiety compass mastering training program, for example, it's good for all big emotions. It's not just anxiety. So you can definitely check that out if you want to dive deeper into how to help these kiddos. And I'm actually also starting up my trauma informed anxiety compass training um, in the new school year. So definitely check out the show notes to get on a wait list to hear more about that as it's being developed, if you're interested. And of course, you know, check out Patreon. Um, I've got a membership program. You can get discounts on any of my training programs and you can access things like transcripts to my podcast. I know I've had quite a few requests for transcripts, so you can get those on Patreon. So check out the show notes. So go have a wonderful day and I will see you next time.